a pleasure to be here and um, been here a few years back. We were here with our Emmaus choral group, the ensemble, and you all provided a beautiful meal for the group in the other building. And then we had a concert. I, I don't remember who was here at, at the other assembly, one of the others was here. And we had another one elsewhere in Florida and another one. So we did a little tour, but uh, great, great memory. Thank you for uh, supporting us in that way. And it's a pleasure to be here. So just one verse, 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, a theme verse in a way of, I mean, it's not the official theme verse, if you will, but 2 Timothy 2, verse 2 where the Apostle Paul says to uh, his son of the faith, Timothy, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And that is a great emphasis of Emmaus Bible College, uh, that we seek to have those who come together on our campus so that we can entrust to faithful young people, men and women, young men and women, Uh, the things of Christ, the things concerning himself, and that those things can be passed on from generation to generation to preserve the wonderful things that we believe. Now, what do we teach at Emmaus Bible College? Does anybody know? The Bible, right. Now, what else do we teach? That may be not as familiar to you, that over the years, uh, the Lord has blessed and allowed programs uh, in education, elementary and secondary school, uh, computer science. We're about to launch a cybersecurity program. Uh, Stephen Elliott, uh, our program chair for computer studies, is working on a final PhD in that area. And so we're able to offer a very popular program. And uh, all of our faculty are so, so committed to the scriptures, to teaching the Bible, to the integration of the Bible into what they teach, but also we teach the Bible. We don't just integrate it. We do that, but it's the core curriculum for every student at Emmaus Bible College. Old Testament, New Testament, theology, surveys. Uh, so we're, we're pleased to stand on that foundation and to prepare people. I came there to teach business administration before assuming the role of leadership at the college. And so I was teaching marketing and finance. And yes, Christians need that stuff too. Believers can use that for the glory of the Lord. So... I gave all my brochures away yesterday except one, uh, but I just wanted to state three key points about Emmaus Bible College, what we, uh, in marketing terms, we call it our value proposition. Boy, those are fancy terms. But what we mean is, uh, what are we about? What value do we seek to deliver to young men and women who come to Emmaus Bible College? And the first thing is Christ-centered education. So everything we do, we want it to be infused with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, our athletics, yes, we have an athletic team. In fact, last night our, our men's basketball team won the North Regional Championship, and they're going to a national NCCAA tournament. So we're very pleased about that. But we want it to be Christ-centered, whatever we do. Um, our education, um, so all elements are centered on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, there are other Christian universities that are like that. But not all of them, second point, are uncompromised in their biblical teaching. And that is something that um, today is, you know, becoming more and more rare to find. Uh, In many places, uh, they now use terms that we historically used like inerrancy of Scripture, but they change the meaning of it. We don't really mean that that means what it used to mean. And you get stuck in a word salad. 
But at Emmaus Bible College, when we talk about inerrancy, we mean creation, we mean sexual and gender identity, we mean the coming of the Lord, eschatology. We have stood on the foundation of things that are long been taught, uncompromised in the Bible. And yes, uh, in time, we will take some hits for that in our society because the things we teach are not popular in the liberal culture in which we exist, but pray that God will cause us to be firm and stand soundly on the scripture and not be ashamed of the things concerning himself. So that's very important. And again, not every so-called Christian university will be uncompromised in their teaching these days. So pray that we will hold that. And then thirdly, which I alluded to at the beginning, uh, the Lord has enabled us to add valuable professional degrees to our program. So things such as nursing. Two of my daughters graduated in a program in nursing in which we have a partnership with a community college and business administration, education, counseling. Uh, All of those are built on the foundation of the Bible, the teaching of Bible. Every student Uh, Their first year is pretty much common. It's almost entirely Bible and theology teaching. Their second year, they start taking more courses in their intended major. And if they are staying with Bible and theology only as a major, then they're getting into Greek and Hebrew and um, studies, special studies of scriptures. So that's essentially uh, all for this morning. And with a few moments uh, afforded to me, I'm, I'm very grateful. Uh, Too bad all the kids are gone and the Sunday school teachers, but for you as parents and elders and leaders and and influencers, uh, this is an important message that that you can be confident, I believe, in in the work of Emmaus Bible College, and you can uh, pass that on to your youth leaders, the, the others here, and as a place that you should seriously consider for your young people for their education. And so pray for our teachers. Uh, pray for the work, and uh, maybe I could just pray here quickly for a moment. So, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity for various ministries. I know in this assembly there are people who minister in Wycliffe and Pioneer and Athnos, and uh, so there's so much a heart for ministry that's known here and a desire to honor you in all these ministries, and we pray that um, that you would continue to hold us firm and steady on the sound foundation of your word. And now we pray as the word is preached and taught this morning that you would bless this gathering once again. We thank you for these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you once again. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to, to I said turn to him number, but <clears throat> turn to Exodus chapter 34. For those who are using devices instead of, um, instead of paper Bibles, um, I am speaking from the New King James Bible this morning. That's the text I'm using. We have been going through Exodus 34, verse 6, for several weeks now, looking at the character of God. When Moses asked God, show me your glory, God said he would show him at least a part of his glory. And he took him, he put him in a cleft of a rock, covered him there with his hand and passed by. And as he passed by, he gave him a description of his character. We'll start in verse 5. Then the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, 
long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Have you thought about why you're here this morning? Is it just a habit? It's Sunday morning. I should be in church. Is it a feel-good start for your week? I got a nod on that and a big grin. Uh, Or is it fear that if you don't show up, at least occasionally, that God won't love you as much? Hopefully not. Uh, Hopefully it's none of those. Why are we here? What's our purpose for being here this morning? In general, here at the chapel. And specifically, why are we here in Exodus 34, 6 and 7? When this series of messages was suggested, there were three reasons mentioned. One, with our minds, to know God more intimately by seeing how his character is demonstrated in everyday life. Two, with our hearts, to respond to who God is with our full commitment and loyalty and all that we are and have. In other words, to respond as Moses did in verse 38. I mean, in verse 8 of chapter 34. Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. When God came by and told him these things about his character, Moses responded with worship, humble worship of who God is. And the third reason that we're going through this is something having to do with our will, our choices, to be motivated to become sons and daughters of the Father, imitators of our Heavenly Father, by demonstrating His character in our dealings with others and also praying for others, as Moses does in verse 9. Then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. So that's what we're here for. We're here to get to know God better by studying his character, to allow that to change us, to allow us to emulate his character. So what aspects of his character are we trying to understand this morning? In my King James Bible, I mean New King James Bible, it's goodness and truth. According to verse 6, the Lord is abounding in goodness and truth. That should make us eager to find out more about those two things. In Hebrew, since that's what the Old Testament was written in originally, the two words are chesed and emet. Chesed is one of the Hebrew words for love. But it's a really tough word to translate into any other language. Um, There are words like that. I mean, if you want to talk about deja vu, um, the French have that word. We use their word because it's easier than the description that we have to give to to talk about it in English. Um, It has many different aspects and a wide range of meanings. Sometimes it's translated mercy. Sometimes it's translated loving kindness, which we sang about in the first service. Sometimes it's just kindness. Sometimes steadfast love or loyal love. All of those things are parts of it, but none of them really tells the full story of what that word, what all that word sums up. In fact, out of 15 versions of the Old Testament, I read these 
verses from, there were 11 different translations of the word chesed. Think of the story of the blind guys trying to describe the elephant. The one that grabbed the leg says, oh, an elephant is like a tree. The one who grabbed the ear says, no, 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 an elephant is like a fan. And another one grabbed the tail, and he says, no, no, an elephant is like a rope. And one got the trunk, and he says, I don't know what you guys are talking about. An elephant is just a type of snake. Um, one thing that should always be clear in a description of chesed is that it's never just a feeling. Chesed is a word that talks about love, that means love, but it's not just a feeling. It's always practical action. Some said that love and generosity and enduring commitment are all rolled into one, that it describes an act of promise-keeping loyalty motivated by deep personal care. I think it's interesting that chesed is often shown to people who either cannot or just will not reciprocate. So it seems like chesed is based more on the character of the giver than it is of the recipient or the response of the recipient. I found it very surprising when I was looking at the word. Where would you get, who would you guess is the first person to use that word in the Old Testament? Any guesses? All right. Just for grins, turn to uh, Genesis 19. This is a story when uh, God sent two angels to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 15, when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, Escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere on the plain. Escape to the mountains lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, Please know, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight and you have increased your mercy which you have shown me by saving my But I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and I die. Lot when he says, you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me, that's chesed. God showed chesed to Lot, and he recognized that goodness and grace were being shown to him, but he couldn't bring himself to just respond in simple obedience. Another picture of chesed is in the book of Ruth, when Naomi and her husband and her two sons moved to Moab, because there was a famine going on in Israel. Her sons marry there in, in her husband, Moab, and they die childless. Her husband dies, her two sons die, and she's left with just her two daughters-in-law living in a foreign land. She's got no property. She decides she's going back to Israel. So she says to her daughters-in-law, go back to your families, find yourselves, yourselves some new husbands and May God show you chesed. Orpah goes, but Ruth says, I will not leave you. Wherever you go, I go. Where you live, I will live. The God you worship, I she Basically, she promises her life to take care of Naomi. And she proceeds to do just that. Later on, when Boaz, a relative, finds out about her, he is impressed enough he calls what she has done for Naomi chesed. 
Chesed is the kind of faithful love that an elderly man whose wife has become an invalid would take gentle care of her, even though she is not able to do anything back to him in return. He loves her, he's faithful to her, and he honors the commitment that he made on the day that they said their vows, richer, poorer, sickness, and health till death do us part. He takes care of her. He bathes her. He dresses her. He feeds her, brushes her hair, reads to her, prays for her. And we have seen some excellent examples of that kind of chesed love in this assembly, in both directions, from husbands to wives and wives to husbands. It's not the same thing as sitting on the couch and but with, I love you, honey. That's emotion, but without the action and the commitment. It's also not the same as being a, care, a paid caregiver. That's action without the emotion or the commitment. Chesed involves concrete action based on love and fulfillment of a covenant or a promise. There are other acts of chesed that are talked about in Scripture. But about 75% of the time that chesed is used in Scripture, it is of God showing chesed to men and women, humans. God made a covenant with Abraham and his descendants. Abraham and his descendants did not always do exactly what they should have done. As a matter of fact, it was very frequent that they did not do what they should have done. They were not always faithful to him, but God was always faithful to his covenant. An example of that would be in Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, verse 11. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I performed among them, I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them. And I will make of you a greater nation and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them. And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and that your cloud stands above them. And you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Verse 17, now I pray, let the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, guess what? The Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity, iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. Where have we heard that before? Exodus 34, 6 and 7, perhaps. Moses brings that up. He remembered what God said about his own character. And he says, God, you won't destroy these people. It's not in your character. And he recites back to God what God told him about himself. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. God remembers the covenant, every covenant. And as it says in 2 Timothy 2, 13, if we are faithless, yet he remains faithful, he cannot deny himself. He can't deny who he is. The other word 
that we're looking at this morning that God used to describe himself is emet. It's usually translated true, truth, or faithfulness. And there's a little bit more involved in that, again, than what we might think at the first. Um, in the Hebrew, the word emet has to do with firmness, stability, something that's absolutely to be depended on. That's why so often in the Psalms, it talks about the Lord being our rock, giving it was someplace you could, you could stand and not worry about it giving out underneath you. It's not just that God tells the truth, but God is completely trustworthy. He can be counted on. He can always be depended on, unlike me. Now, I may tell you something, tell you that I'm going to do something, and I forget, or I might change my mind. Those of you who know me very well have probably, can probably think of times when I have let you down on something that I was supposed to do, and it didn't get done. There are things that I'm still planning to do that haven't gotten done um, yet like that. God is trustworthy all the time and absolutely. Now, there is something about that word trustworthy. Trustworthy invites you to put trust in someone. So when it says that God is trustworthy, our response should be to trust him. And when you put those two words together, Chesed and emet, loving care, and active loving care, loving kindness, whatever you want to call it, and trustworthiness. It's extremely powerful, I think. And then when you you take that, like Exodus 34 said, the Lord is abounding, abounding in chesed and emet. Those two words combined, they talk about God. And they're talking also about the other aspects of God's character. We've talked about God's compassion. We've talked about his graciousness. We've talked about his long-suffering patience and slowness to anger. And these two words, to me at least, tell me that God is always going to be compassionate and merciful, gracious, and long-suffering. It's who he is. It will not change. You can depend on God. He's doing those things. He's the ultimate definition of trustworthiness. So why not trust him? Throughout the Old Testament, God was looking for people who would trust him. Abraham trusted God. Moses trusted God. Caleb trusted God. Rahab, Ruth, and David, and Daniel, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and others trusted God. Hopefully you know all the stories of all those people. If you don't, learn them. They trusted God, and they found their trust was well-placed. They believed in his trustworthiness, and they acted on that belief. None of those people was perfect, and the Bible doesn't gloss over mistakes that they made or failures, but they trust God, and he was faithful to them even when they failed him. At the same time, throughout the Old Testament, there were other people who saw the same things they did and heard the same things they heard. The Israelites heard God speaking from heaven above the mountain. They heard God's voice, but they were constantly thinking that God was going to let them down. Even when they, they saw things going on, God provided manna daily. They were getting miraculously fed on a daily basis. 
And still, they whined and whined about, oh, God can't take care of this. Oh, no, here's another situation. God's not going to be able to handle this one. Even those trust didn't always have God's long view of things. I think it's Psalm 89. Psalm 89 is uh, a psalm of Ethan the Ezraite. It seems that this is a psalm that was written after Judah and Israel had fallen and they've been carried away captive to various nations. Ethan says, I will sing of the mercies chesed, of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your emet to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. 14. Says it again in verse 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth, chesed and emet, go before your face. He's got faith at this point. He is talking about the Lord's trustworthiness and his belief. But by the time you get down to verse 38, well, he, he does mention in, in uh, verse, verses 24 and on that, that God made promises to David that he would show chesed and emet to David and his descendants. Verse 38, he says, But you have cast off and abhorred. You have been furious with your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have profaned his crown by casting it to the ground. It looks, and he talks about what he's seeing around him and saying, God, it looks like you have quit showing chesed and emet. You're no longer keeping your covenant. It's the way it looks when I see the things going on around me. We got a lot of things going on around us in the world today, and it may look like, man, God's not taking care of everything the way I expected him to. There was a man in the New Testament who said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I think Ethan is a little bit like him because even though he looks around and he sees all these things that are going wrong and says it doesn't look like God is still doing this, just to verse 46, and he says, How long, Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? Will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. In verse 49, he says, Lord, where are your former loving kindnesses, which you swore to David in your truth? Loving kindnesses is chesed. And truth, again, is emet. Remember, Lord, the reproach of your servants. You get down to the end. He says, blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. I think when he asks those questions, he is basically saying, Lord, I believe, but it doesn't look like it's happening. Help my unbelief. Show me. It's interesting to note that he, he ends that with amen and amen. And amen is, well, like in English, you say true, truth, and trust, all from the same root. Emet and amen are from the same root. So he gets to the end here, and he says amen and amen. He is still holding on to his belief. The answer to Ethan's question don't come for many years. 400 plus, Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy, great, genealogies. That could be boring. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The New Testament starts out with a genealogy of Jesus Christ and names him as the son of David. So the covenants that were made by God with David 
are inherited by Jesus Christ as a son of David. The covenants that were made to Abraham with God, by God are inherited by Jesus Christ. The New Testament picks up. Jesus Christ is going to be the fulfillment of the covenants that God has made, all the covenants that God has made. In the New Testament, God's still looking for people who will trust him, count him trustworthy, and respond by putting their trust in him. In the New Testament, we don't find the word chesed, since the New Testament was written in Greek instead of Hebrew. But the word that's used most closely is mercy. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Now back in... Um, Back in Exodus 34, we said that God is abounding in chesed and in met. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, abounding in mercy, abounding in chesed. What did he do? He made us alive because of his great love with which he loved us. God is still keeping his covenants. Part of the thing with, with the Abrahamic covenant God promised that his descendants would be numerous. And he also promised that all the nations of the world would be blessed. Not just the ones who were physically descended from him, but all the nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham and his descendant. When I turn the page there, I see that being fulfilled by Jesus Christ. You who were once Gentiles in the flesh called uncircumcision... You were without Christ, verse 12, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been made near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. In Jesus Christ, not only Israel can be saved, not only Israelites can be saved, but all of us, any of us. God is faithful through his word God is faithful to his promises. He is faithful not just to those who trust him, but he is also faithful to keep his promises to those who don't. He promises judgment. That comes too. For those who trust him, he promises pardon. He promises salvation. For those who don't trust him, he promises judgment. And it's not a matter of vengeance. I don't know how to, how to say exactly what I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to say, that if you don't trust him, you're saying, I just trust me. And God says, this is what happens when you trust you. Jesus paid the price for sin. I can't pay the price for my own sin without judgment, without being judged. You can't pay the price for your own sin without being condemned. Jesus took the penalty for our sin. God is absolutely trustworthy. Jesus Christ is absolutely trustworthy. And the question is, do we trust him for our salvation and also for our walk? Those of us who have already put our trust in Christ and had our sins forgiven are obligated now to take the message of God's loving kindness and his trustworthiness to the people around us. Father, we come and we thank you for your faithfulness, your love, your absolute care of us keeping your covenants keeping your promises, never failing. Thank you that we can trust you. We ask you would help us to do so and that you would help us as well to invite others to trust you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.